Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all on this Thursday, the day before Matariki. And uh, most of us will be having a day off tomorrow to uh, help celebrate. It is 9.03 here as uh, we look to, forward to a, a pretty busy three hours and uh, we've got a number of uh, subjects to, to cover, including football. We're going to be talking to Jonathan Gould very shortly. Now, Jonathan Gould, of course, has just been re-signed as the Wellington Phoenix, Phoenix goalkeeping coach. Uh, what's he been up to? He's uh, been a bit of a globetrotter. This is his third stint uh, with the Phoenix, of course. Uh, and he's been away out of New Zealand basically for about seven years, but you would have seen him, I'm pretty sure, uh, alongside Danny Hay as part of our last campaign for the World Cup. Uh, just after 9.30, we're we'll, uh, going to play a couple of excerpts from an interview with uh, Matty White. Uh, Matty White does SEN Mornings uh, over there in Australia. Uh, he interviewed uh, Rugby Australia chairman Hamish McLennan. Uh, we've got a couple of clips there that you might want to listen to and uh, we might open up the lines as well with your reaction to what he's saying. This is the bloke, the chairman, who wants to cut the cord with New Zealand Super Rugby unless we front up with a lot more money. It's almost uh, holding us to ransom in that, in that regard. Uh, in a way, what, what has he got to say about it? We'll hear those, those uh, interviews very shortly. Uh, just after 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to Adam Collins. Adam Collins, of course, is uh, one of the commentators that uh, bring you ball-by-ball coverage of the third test match beginning at Headingley tonight, New Zealand time. So uh, will Brendan McCullum's side go hell for leather back at New Zealand again? We'll see what Adam Collins thinks in terms of the team makeups and the conditions. The panel this morning will be with Alex Chapman and Tom Bartlett. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we will have a, a stump smithy uh, around about uh, 11.30. Prior to that, though, we're going to talk to Stephen Ampston. Uh, he's Stampede and Ice Blacks uh, defenceman uh, with the view to mind that the New Zealand Ice Hockey League starts very shortly. And of course, uh, we're right in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs as well in the Tampa Bay Lightning thumping Colorado in Game 3, 6-2, which was a bit of a turnaround. We'll have a greyhound for you and a trotting horse as well as part of our normal picks for the week. here, New Zealand time. Uh, Of course, uh, it's uh, a little bit uh, later in England. Uh, That's where we find our first guest of the morning, uh, Jonathan Gould. Now, Jonathan Gould, of course, very familiar to us. Uh, He has been of late uh, with the... the, uh uh, the unsuccessful, I think it's fair to say, all-white campaign, just, just unsuccessful. But uh, Jonathan's been already uh, the Phoenix coach on two occasions, 2009 to th- 2011, 
2012 to 2015. Then he headed back uh, to England uh, to take up uh, posts with sides like West Bromwich Albion um, and, of course, uh, Middlesbrough as well, Preston North End, and uh, currently he's working uh, with Bristol City as well and some of their sides. But yesterday afternoon it was uh, announced that Jonathan will be coming back to coach the Phoenix in the goalkeeping department. Uh, so we say a very good evening to uh, Jonathan Gould, England Time. Nice to catch up with you, mate. Good morning, Ian, and uh, thanks for the intro, and lovely to speak to you. <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. Yeah, I should say on the back of that, you had 157 games for Celtics, as well as a number of other um, English English and uh, UK sides as well. Uh, OK, Jonathan, uh, this is term number three for you as the goalkeeping coach. Uh, tell us what uh, lured you back, mate. Um, well, first of all, I, I, it's, it's been sort of part of my um, coaching journey. Um, secondly, the job was available, and thirdly, it's um, it's a it's a fabulous football club that spans uh, 15 years as a professional outfit uh, in New Zealand in the A League. And um, yeah, I think it's a privilege to be able to come back, and it's a privilege that people want me back as well, Ian. Okay, well, um, so from from your own personal point of view, uh, do you see this still as part of your development? Uh, you know, um, what what would be your ultimate goal in terms of being a goalkeeping coach, or, or do you have head coach in mind at, at some point? Um, no, I think um, someone once said to me, you know, you're a, when you're a specialist, um, um, probably to to stay in that way. Um, I think um, I think I think you know. But, Goalkeeping coaching in the Premier League was was something that was um, very special to me at West Brom with Tony Pulis. But I, I think um, I think it'd be great if we could uh, not just get the, the Phoenix into the playoffs. And I think it'd be fantastic. We get them into the final and win it at some point. Okay, um, have you been able to catch up uh, or, or stay in touch with the Phoenix as a club? I mean, obviously they've had a you know like a, a lot of clubs around the world, they've had a pretty tough time not being able to play at home. So have you been able to follow them at all, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've only been back in the UK for the last sort of seven months, Ian, as you know, and um, uh, mm-hmm. so you you watch them from a distance. I think everyone in the New Zealand is watching from a distance. The the, the commitment that um, the staff and and the backers um, have made um, during the period of COVID and the challenges that, that they've met by living away from home and living away from the families. I mean, you know, you know what it's like um, as a cricketer. You go, go away for a period of time and, and, and your loved ones are left behind. And, um, and I think they've done a remarkable job through that time. And, and, and I think uh, coming back uh, this year, you'd like to think that all the supporters come out in Wellington and, and make it a, a, a really um, tremendous season for us. One of the interesting things as well, of course, um, since you uh, have been here, they've had a, a Wellington women's Phoenix team as well. And uh, now the, yeah. the club is, is really starting to uh, evolve uh, with new facilities as well, the New Zealand Campus of Innovation and Sports. So it's it's all progressing quite nicely. Yeah, and I think um, it's important that football clubs uh, have have legacies. Um, you know, I think you look at the, the clubs I'm at Bristol City now in, and they've, you know, they've, they're kind of part of the city sports group. So they've got the, the women's football, uh, they have the rugby club, and they've got the basketball, and it's all tied into the city. And I think, um, you know, the Phoenix now, with the academy and the, and the quality of players that are coming through that and the opportunities it's providing, and obviously uh, the women's football team that was started up uh, uh, this season, you know, you've got three entities there um, that uh, can be a big part of, uh, of New Zealand. 
Okay, so um, what do you know about uh, the goalkeepers that uh, who are on the books of the Phoenix who, who you'll be working with? Ollie Sale, of course, we know. But uh, what about Ollie? Has worked yeah. with um, with the All Whites, etc. And who else will you be alongside? Well, yeah, I've got um, knowledge of Ollie since he was a 17, 18-year-old uh, lad. Um, and he's always had an incredible amount of, of ability. And, and now he's turning that into reality with his form last season. Um, um, I've been able to work with Alex Paulson over a couple of periods um, last year when he was pre- preparing for the Olympics. Um, I've been heavily involved with um, some of the under-20 stuff. So we've got Albie Kelly-Head and then we've got uh, Henry Gray. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's been some tremendous work. I mean, Ryan Ego has been doing it in the academy and, and uh, more of late Ruben Parker. And there's, some, there's some really talented goalkeepers all over New Zealand at the moment. So if, we, if you look at a standard week, I know it's early and you're, you've got a lot of planning to do, etc., um, Jonathan, but in a standard week, how much work would you put in with goalkeepers? Cool. Hours. Um, on and off the park. Um, you know, we've got, we've got the ability now with, with some of the, the, um, the format that you have on the internet. Um, you know, there's, there's information readily at hand, um, you know, and... and we can we can show uh, instant video um, of the forwards that are coming up against. I mean, physically, um, the work that we do. Uh, you know, when you when you look at probably a, a typical day, um, you might get 50 minutes to an hour with the goalkeepers. Um, um, as you know, as a goalkeeping group, they'll then go with uh, away with the um, the outfield players, and they've got their weights, they've got their their prehab. So there's a lot of work that goes into a week's preparation that leads into. Um, a football match on a Saturday or Sunday. How's it changed, Jonathan? How's the, how's the role and the preparation, etc., of goalkeeping changed since your since your day with Celtic, for instance? <laughs> um, well, I still used to get fat tested, Ian. It was, <laughs> even twenty years ago, and it was probably <laughs> it was probably more of a challenge for us in those days um, because of the way we live. But I think um, what's changed is the level of of professionalism and the support that these athletes nowadays nowadays get um, on a, on a daily basis, and and the way that um, you know the heart rates are monitored, um, or the GPS is monitored, everything that goes into it now, um, you, you 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 probably can't hide as an athlete anymore, Ian, like we used to. <laughs> mm. What's the way? What's the way here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry, sorry, I forgot you were a peer <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've changed. Don't worry about that. Hey, listen, um, on, a, on a, a more a more serious a more serious note, you've just had this campaign um, with the All Whites. So I watched very clear, uh, closely. Um, we saw Danny Hay looking pretty pretty calm and cool and collected throughout the whole deal. But I did notice uh, uh, Jonathan Gould get up off uh, the bench uh, from the dugout uh, when Costa Barbarossos received the red card. And you looked like there was a little bit of steam coming out of your ears. What were you feeling at that time? I thought we were really harshly uh, done to, um, not just Costa's. You know, Costa's a, uh, a fantastic young man and he's a good footballer. And I, I don't think there's been any intent whatsoever. And when it comes to challenges like that, I think it has to be considered i i just found it very strange that all of a sudden var became um or had a massive impact on on um on a world cup fixture like this and i i just i did think we were hard done to the the, the foul that alleged foul that uh, led up to the goal um yeah um 
it's, it's still tough. It still hurts. And it'll probably, um, as Danny said at the time, it'll probably hurt even more when we watch Costa Rica play in the World Cup in November. Yeah, probably will, actually. T- can you tell us uh, um, about the conditions in Qatar? Because they're going to, they, well, they first uh, nominated or decided on Qatar. Everyone else thought, well, how are the players going to handle this? How are the fans going to handle this? Uh, what was it like? Yeah. It, the, the facilities are absolutely outstanding. And, you know, you walk into the stadium and I think they can set the temperature anything between 16 and 22 degrees. Um, you ha- the, the, the one thing you do feel is the air, the air conditioning being blasted into the stadium. Um, the, the surfaces uh, are absolutely magnificent. And f- funny enough, there was, a, there was a Kiwi groundsman out there that was in charge of all surfaces, mm-hmm. like called Bede, that we, we spoke to. And um, it's, it is going to be a spectacle. Um, uh, they've built some tremendous uh, stadiums for viewing. Um, and, and I think by November, I think we, we were in Qatar earlier in the year and, and the temperature wasn't, wasn't too bad. I mean, when we were there, we couldn't walk outside um, last week. It was 45 uh, degrees on one occasion. But um, I think the way they've set everything up, um, when it comes to the performance that you see, um, it won't be, certainly won't be hindered by, um, by, a, by a temperature that, that um, doesn't allow um, uh, athletes to perform at a high level. Just getting back to the, the role of the goalkeeping side of things and, and looking at yeah. uh, penalty strategies now, uh, of course, yeah. that, what, did you make, what did you make of uh, the Australia-Peru situation where in the 119th minute they changed goalkeepers? I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I've seen that before. That's, obviously, that's a strategy you, you would be involved in if it was to happen in any team you were there. What did you, what did you make of that and Andrew Redmayne's antics, I suppose, in terms of distraction? What, what did yeah. you make of that sort of saga? Um, I, I think the last time I remember seeing it at that kind of level was Holland. I think Holland took Sillison off and, or put him on, um, and that worked. And I, I, I'm led to believe that um, the only people that knew were Arnie and Andrew. I don't think even um, even Matty Ryan knew. I think his antiques on the line. Um, yeah, I get all that. Um, he's not the first. Um, if we go back 25 years, Bruce Gobbler did it. Um, it might be 35 years now, actually. Bruce Gobbler did it in mm-hmm. a in a Champions League final. Um, the one thing that I wasn't happy about was, was Andrew throwing the, the water bottle away. I thought that, was, that lacked a little bit of sportsmanship. Other people would say, well, you know, that's, if that's what it takes to get to a World Cup, I just, I just had a little bit of an issue from a, from a goalkeeping union perspective. That upset me a little bit. But the other antics, you know, they're well within the, the, the laws of the game. How much is a, a mind on mind thing when you come to those those penalty shootouts? How how much does the mental side play from a goalkeeping point of view? What what are you looking to do? Um, well, first of all, the reason we, the, the 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 Peruvian goalkeeper had uh, had that information on his bottle is the preparation, and we had somebody that um, had basically put algorithms into into a computer based on what he'd seen from all the penalties that had been taken by the Costa Ricans. And we had exactly the same preparation. We had a, a water bottle with every single penalty taker that we might have faced with his preferred side, even the height of that penalty um, and, and a percentage on that. And, and, and we were, we would have gone on that, that algorithm. Um, you know, you know what it's like, um, Smithy at the, uh, at that last moment um, in the cauldron, uh, an athlete might change his mind and, 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 uh, and a top professional footballer also has the ability to do that.
I'm fascinated by that. I, I have never heard of that. I, I, you know, um, when you look at going that deeply, I mean, how long has that kind of strategy mm. been around, that kind of information given to a goalkeeper? Um, I probably, um, when I came back in 2015 at West Brom, uh, we had all that information. You know, you have, uh, you have Weisgate, you have Instat, um, all these um, statisticians around the world, they sit, sit at home and they watch these games and, and even uh, 20, less than 24 hours after a game's been played, you can have every single stat about every single player, about how far he's passed the ball, um, who he's passed it to. Um, it's, it's quite remarkable now. And, and you, you know, you'll, you'll have seen it in cricket, um, you know, with their computers and, you know, how often, um, um, you know, in the old days, how often would David Gow waft outside his off stump and give his wicket away? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the kind of detail that we get, um, you know, to the nth degree. That's absolutely, uh, absolutely fascinating, Jonathan. When, when are you, when are you back in New Zealand? When does, um, when did your gig start as such? Yeah, I um, leave the UK July fourth, and um, I think first day back at work will be um, uh, July the eleventh, um, and we'll be sh- we're straight back into it. And, I, and I'm pretty sure I, th- I think that the um, FFA draw um, gets made uh, next Wednesday, so we'll already have um, ideas of opponents um, in, in that pre-season tournament. Um, people that uh, know you um, and a lot of people of course uh, familiar with you in New Zealand know that you uh, you mentioned the word legacy before well the gold name is uh, thick with legacy in football uh, first of all how's Bobby uh, dad Bobby and of course um, Matthew was part of the uh, Matthew was part of the all white squad as, as well and uh, what's yeah. he up to and how's his development going yeah Matthew's just signed um, a one plus one year deal at Olfingham they're full time um, and he's looking forward to that um you know, he's been a very dedicated young man throughout his career and um, you know, I'm very proud of him uh, as to what he's achieved. I think he's got uh, more levels in him even from this point. Um, Dad's Dad's retired from cricket, Smithy, at the age of 76. Um, <laughs> I think he played his last game. He played his last game for Porter's Head a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I, think he, I, I think he managed to get one off the square and, and, and crack one through extra cover. And he thought, right, I'm not going to do that very often at this age. So um, I think he's put the bat away, mate. <laughs> oh, great to hear that. The uh, great to hear that uh, you're all, all well and and. Uh, Things are progressing nicely. So look forward to, to seeing you in person when you're back um, back in New Zealand. Hopefully you can get up this way. As, uh, you, you've, you've still got a home here as well, I believe. So it'll be nice to see you, uh, mate, yep. but uh, it's great news. I, I, I was really thrilled to, to see that you're, you're back with the Phoenix. So thank you thank you very much and yep. all the very best, mate, and we'll catch up soon, eh? Thank you, and thanks for your support as well. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah cheers. Uh, Jonathan Gould there, folks, um, magnificent goalkeeper in his own right, and now, of course, uh, turning his attention, or has been for quite some time, turning his attention to developing uh, the goalkeeping um, qualities in New Zealand, and uh, the Phoenix will be all the better for that. I can promise you that. It is 9.21 here on SENZ. For making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, don't forget tonight uh, we have live coverage, ball-by-ball coverage coming out of Headingley Cricket Ground in Leeds uh, where uh, Adam Collins, who we'll be talking to very shortly, will be heading up our commentary team along with Jeremy Coney, Daniel Norcross, uh, Nikesh Ragani, Craig McMillan, all those uh, voices that you've been hearing for the first two tests. They will be back. 
uh, to uh, start tonight. First ball around about 10 o'clock New Zealand time. Uh, who will win the toss? What will they do? And will Neil Wagner play? I think the other big questions uh, around the start of this test match. Uh, well, it's been uh, quite an intriguing week in terms of uh, a little bit of uh, a crossfire across the Tasman, I think it's fair to say, with uh, Rugby Australia chairman uh, Hamish McLennan really getting uh, the big gun out and firing bullets at us. Uh, and here's what he had to say um, in an interview with Matty White from SEN in the mornings in Australia yesterday. There's a fairly sizable debate that you've got going. Well, Timmy Horan called it a hand grenade across the ditch when you floated the idea of leaving Super Rugby, raising the subject with your New Zealand counterparts. What's been the reaction uh, for you since those comments last week? Oh, look, it's been quite controversial, but really for the Board of Rugby Australia and our key stakeholders, um, we all felt that it was a good time for us to reassess our position because we won the World Cup in Australia in 27. And, you know, we need to look at what's right for us. So, you know, it needs to just be noted. We we initially wanted a longer-term arrangement with uh, New Zealand with Super Rugby. They only wanted two years. And as the wheel turns, we've sort of looked at that position and decided now's the time to reassess because we are looking at doing potentially a private equity deal. And um, in Australia, if you look at the AFL and the NRL, they... Uh, they, they operate as domestic competitions, and so if if we were to replicate what they do, we have more. We will have more players playing in an Aussie competition, which ultimately will probably rate better. So anyway, we're looking at our position and and making sure that we make the right decision going forward. So can I just dig a bit deeper on both sides of that argument? The idea of a standalone domestic competition obviously is going to rate better. Do you think though that you've got the support, the capacity? and the players to form a competition like an NRL or an AFL? Because you'll have to add teams, of course, probably to another team in New South Wales and Queensland. Yeah, we do. And, and look, that, that's the issue, is that we're going to take a long-term view. A lot of our players go overseas and, and play there because we don't have the professional club structure to be able to support um, more than five at the moment. So... And, you know, there's the potential that we could play the Fiji and Drua here and um, still still create an international aspect to it. So that's we, we need to be creative how we can we can build more. So we've got five, obviously, five prof- professional clubs at the moment. You know, you need another three to five on top of that to sort of successfully launch it. So, you know, it's not that big an ask, really. Where are you going to find the players from, mate? I mean, Hamish, to be perfectly honest, where are you going to find the quality of players with? Because if you if you want to keep the standard of those uh, five current ones uh, at the at the level that they're at, and you want to improve it, you don't want to dilute them by by splitting them. Uh, you know, all those players and, and making up the extra three franchises that you're looking for, or the three teams you're looking for. I'm not quite. Have you got the depth? Are you confident you've got the the depth? to produce a game of rugby which will outrate the Brumbies versus the Crusaders on your on your, on your on your stations over there, whoever you, you sign up with for the big money that you're wanting. What do you reckon about that? Don't get it. I don't, okay. Smithy, yeah. I, I don't get it either. When you, to me, when you listen to that, I get this impression that he's trying to be the Peter Volandis of Australian rugby, right? He's trying to be like the ARLC chairman uh, who's basically, he saved the game during the pandemic and now Rugby Australia are looking to do something similar. But I just don't, I personally, I don't see 
how this could work. He keeps talking about wanting to kind of emulate what the NRL and the AFL have done, right? Well, you got to think about, look at closer to home, look at Super Rugby or Picky, and they say when that started, things like this need time. You have to give it time. If whatever they do, a professional rugby league in Australia, rugby union league in Australia, it is not just going to happen overnight. There's going to be a lot of growing pains, and I think there's going to be quite a struggle considering that he's talking about private equity deals, and it's a sport played by private schools versus AFL and NRL, which is a lot more accessible and already a lot more established. Yeah, absolutely. Totally concur with those thoughts. Uh, Incidentally, uh, we're going to go to the news now with uh, Araha, but when we come back, we'll play you part two. Uh, another clip which you might be interested in, it might fire up a wee bit, and uh, we might just open up the lines as well, uh, 0800 150 811, with uh, your opinion. To, do you care if they go? Do you want them to stay? Uh, is, it, is it just a hoax, or is it just uh, a threat, an idle threat? Um, and um, what do you make of this guy? It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Just listening to him. Uh, 0800 150 811. But uh, first of all, here's Araha. <laughs> Yeah, 9.34, and uh, before the news, we played you part one of uh, a little excerpt uh, from an interview between uh, Matty White and Hamish McLennan. Uh, Hamish McLennan is the Rugby Australia chairman, um, so uh, he's been very outspoken uh, in this uh, early part of this week anyway, and uh, he hasn't uh, just had one shot. Uh, he's had another one, as uh, we'll hear right now. All right, on the issue of not playing against Kiwi sides and, and the understanding there that when we do play against the Kiwi sides, the numbers, viewing numbers drop. But there's the other issue of becoming stronger by playing against the New Zealanders. Jeff Wilson said New Zealand and Australia needed each other to help build Super Rugby Pacific into a strong comp. And he's, he's had a crack at you. He said, this is a power play. You're just trying to get more funds for us. What's the response to that? Oh, look, you know, a big part of it is money, obviously, because what we need to do is build up the game locally. But what we haven't had over the last few years is the ability to, you know, reinvest back in the game. And so what we're saying as a board and an organisation, um, let's let's look at what's right for us. So, you know, I've, I've sort of copped a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of heat over this. But really, at the end of the day, it's water off a duck's back. It doesn't worry me. Um, New Zealand's done what's right for them for years and years and years. And don't forget, these were the guys that said to us just two years ago, we're going to create a competition and you can have just two teams, which would have destroyed our game. So, you know, we're we're actually taking a step back saying Rugby Australia needs to do what's right for it. Um, it's sort of interesting as the wheels turned, as we're, we're playing better, we've got the World Cup, New Zealand saying, well, look, you know, you can't leave us, you've got to play us. Um, and I really don't like the fact that we're pushing back. I think it's quite hilarious in, in, in many cases because they made life so difficult for us two years ago. And, and all we're doing is that we're saying ahead of the World Cup, we want to see what's right for us and, and actually beyond because we've got a golden decade of rugby coming up. And we know that the NRL and the AFL go domestic only and they do really, really well out of it. And, and the calibre the calibre of um, the footy is excellent. And so if we have more players playing in a competition here locally, we can make a fist of it. And I actually think the standard will be really good. And don't on forget, issue, when we play yep. New Zealand, if we do a bit, just, just wait, but on a, on a, at a test level, you really only need to get 15 guys on the paddock at any given time. 
So if we've got an expanded competition that's, that's, that's sort of performing locally, we're confident that with our high-performance structures that we're putting in, we'll be able to make it work. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, interesting. Water off a duck's back for him and uh, the fact that he thinks New Zealand, uh, the association with New Zealand really is, uh, is setting them back rather than encouraging them as uh, some of our former All Blacks have uh, hinted during the week that we need each other. He seems to think, no, um, Australia does not need us at all. Uh, so uh, I've given the opportunity to call in 0800 150811 with uh, your response to some of those thoughts. Uh, Dean from Dunedin wouldn't have it any other way than getting an opinion from you, mate. What do you make of that? There it is, buddy. Yeah, I'm there, mate. I'm there. Go ahead. I'll just go outside on this magnificent sunny Dunedin day. Minus, I don't know what it is, but it's not a cloud in the sky, so thank God we never day off tomorrow. I don't know who I send the invoice to, but... I like the government making these decisions and then saying, you know, taxpayers can pay all their wages for a day off. Who pays mine? But we won't talk about that. But I think you still in rugby, this <laughs> conversation, I totally agree with um, the Aussie bugger, to be fair. Like, why don't we play England, Smitty? Why don't the All Blacks go to Twickenham? Because they give us no gate. That's the answer. And all Aussie wants to play in their competitions a little bit more dough. Now, Jeff Wilson was on to it. John Kerwin, mate, I used to like him until that reunion show the other night. I was had to watch it delayed on Prime, but where's his head at? Like, he's just so Auckland, it was starting to really grate me. And I love the fact that Jeff wouldn't give him anything. He just kept hammering into him. They're no good, mate. They are just no good. You're having a holiday full of tomorrow. Good on him. That's all I'll say. Enjoy your holiday. You're never going to be any good. Okay. Sim- <laughs> Oh, yeah, but okay, do you, do you think, it, well, is it going to help them come to Eden Park and beat the All Blacks, you know, this regrouping by themselves, do you think? No, I don't, I don't honestly think they want to do it. He's, that guy speaks a good yarn, but I think it's just a yarn, like, we both need each other. Like, we, what else have we got where we live? Where we're geographically isolated from everything apart from Pacific Island. We need Australia just as much as they need us in rugby union. So give them a little bit more of the pie and let's just make this team stronger. So when we go up there in the Northern Hemisphere Tours, we smash them. Like South Africa's record in the Northern Hemisphere Tours is terrible because they don't really care. They're playing it for the money over there. But when the South Africans come to New Zealand, oh my God, it's like, you know, it's like playing your brother in the backyard. Like you, they just hate each other. But in Northern Hemisphere, their record's shocking. But we need Australia too. That's how I see it. Like, they've got so many players over there. Like, if they could tap into whatever to get some of those union boys coming back. Like, we get Roger. Imagine if they got Tommy Turbo. Imagine him at centre for the Wallabies. There's just one for you. You know, they've got so many. It's just a matter of getting some money so they can buy them. And it's only a matter of some big rich bugger. That guy in Perth, he can buy them whatever they want. He's got the dough and he will do it. So we need them. Don't lose sight of that. Okay, Dean, thank you very much. Uh, have a good uh, day off tomorrow. I don't know who's paying for it, but uh, I hope you enjoy yours in particular. Simon from Wellington. Simon, good morning to you. Good morning, Smitty. Hey, um, yeah, really interesting chat that was. I think I understand what Rugby Australia are trying to do, but if they're trying to emulate the likes of the NRL and the AFL, they're about 10 to 15 years behind that. Maybe when Super Rugby started, um, you know, back 25 years ago, they probably could 
stand up and do it alone. Um, but, like, I think, look at trying to find the players, the calibre to keep the competition relatively professional. NRL and more so to the AFL, they don't have lucrative offers to go overseas. So you've really got to think about the player welfare in that part. Um, Dino before talking about the, the, the mine kingpin and Aussie. I think he's he's tried and tried before again. Um, his own team, the Western Force, they got kicked out of Super Rugby, so I can't see him wanting to get back. Uh, but from a business model, I, I think it makes sense a little bit, but when you've got investors and shareholders wanting to make money, and he also said that it's all about the money and the TV ratings, uh, I don't I don't think it's really going to work if they want to leave by the end of 2024. So what's the answer from your point of view uh, if we want to keep it alive, if we want to keep it going? Simply just pay what they want? No, I don't think so. I think it really just comes down to the New Zealand rugby board and the Australian rugby board actually fishing it out. I mean, they've done, they've done wonders to bring um, Fiji and Moana Pacific to the board and, you know, to hear, for those guys to spend all the money and create development uh, and to see that potentially disappear, I mean, hopefully they would stick with New Zealand, but I think it's more of just understanding the issue um, and parting seas and then and creating something different. I think exp- expanding to European football for um for some sort of domestic, uh, sorry, international club program as a way. I mean, you see football do the FIFA Club World Cup, but it's not necessarily lucrative or long-term. That's just putting different hemispheres of um, club, uh, club football together or world football together. Okay, interesting thoughts here, Simon. Thank you very much. Steve from Wellington, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, hi, I just wanted to point out what happened with netball uh, was it a couple of years ago when netball New Zealand you know, we, we've got our own competition now we, we went out of Australia I can't remember whether we got kicked out of Australia or um, what happened but I think it's worked out quite well for New Zealand netball I don't really follow it that closely but um, it seems like it's worked out pretty well um, and maybe the same thing could apply for Australian rugby to just go, go, there, go um, on their own yeah, I think you're right, Steve. I think maybe we should just take a step back. I mean, our knee-jerk reaction is, what the hell, you know, things are going well in Super Rugby for us, aren't they? We always get teams into the playoffs. You know, we win it. It's as simple as that. It's been a long time since they have. And we seem to think everything is just going, ticking along quite smoothly. And I think you might be right. It might be time to just take a step back and see the benefits for us in this as well. Because I think the, I think the parallel with netball is like we we was always struggled in that competition. We got you know the same as Australia struggles in rugby. We we struggled in, in Australia and, and never got made it to the playoffs and didn't get that you know the finals netball and it's the same. It's just, it's just the opposite situation to that. Um, I'd also say that back in the day there was no such thing as Super Rugby um, and. We had a really strong uh, provincial competition mm. in, in New Zealand, and we had a really, presumably, had a, a strong Australian provincial competition. That the Super Rugby's really eroded the the provincial competition in New Zealand. So maybe it's good to get just to, you know, get rid of Super Rugby and go back to having provincial rugby. 
That's an interesting thought, Steve, and I can promise you there's a lot of people think along those lines as well. Thanks, uh, people, for your calls this morning. Um, really uh, have enjoyed your input there on the back of those those comments from uh, Rugby Australia Chair Hamish McLennan. It is 9.45 here on SENZ. Uh, plenty of text to read out as well shortly. Side-by-side side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, interesting is uh, food for thought, isn't it? Uh, this possible breakaway by Australia, and I, I hasten to add possible. It's uh, only very early, and uh, New Zealand rugby even had, haven't even made a comment apart from to say, uh, if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it, but not through the media. Let's uh, do it at boardroom level, and uh, we'll see what we can come up with, uh, which is mutually acceptable. But uh, Australia certainly firing some uh, shots early on in the piece. Phil Kearns backing up uh, Rugby Australia's chairman too, uh, by the way. But that is uh, far from uh, surprising, isn't it? Uh, some texts have come in. Adam, are we being a bit arrogant around this Aussie situation? When South Africa was in the comp, the revenue was shared. Now that we essentially run the comp, the funds are pulled and shared. Uh, there actually isn't super rugby without Australia. The argument that they shouldn't uh, argue because their teams are crap isn't a great argument. Does the NRL distribute revenue based on performance? If the Aussie teams did better, would we then give them more? Conversely, when uh, would the New Zealand teams get less because of Australia are outplaying them. Mm, interesting, Adam. Very good. Uh, morning, Smithy. I think it's time to let the Aussie teams go and building the best rugby comp in New Zealand uh, with the best players from around the world. Would love to have imports here in Northland. We'll definitely bring more fans to the stadiums, I feel. That would be interesting if you're confident you could get players uh, from around the world. Uh, I wonder how many Australians you'd be able to sign. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, whether some of their top players would rather play over here for a few bickies. Uh, even if the Aussie teams do go from Super Rugby, it's no big loss. Will be a bigger loss for them. If they do go, gives uh, NZ Rugby a chance to increase participation across the Pacific, which would be a good thing and well overdue considering what Pacific Region has done for New Zealand Rugby. Uh, thoughts there from Craig. Uh, and uh, Jamie's come in with, we should call his bluff and say, let's do it then. See what happens. He'd get sacked. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they'd uh, sack the chairman on that basis. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, maybe it's time for a bit of a shuffle up. Maybe it's time to just review the whole situation. Uh, certainly, it appears that's about to, uh, about to happen. It's 9.52 here on SENZ. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the hold Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. We had a minor hiccup yesterday when the Minnesota Twins, who were hosting Cleveland, the Cleveland Guardians as they're known these days, as opposed to the Cleveland Indians, the Cleveland Indians uh, are now known as the Guardians, got up and beat them 6-5, so that was the end of that one. Uh, So uh, this one, uh, because we're not working tomorrow as such, we will have radio, of course, here on SENZ, but uh, this team isn't working. Uh, We're going to look at a sort of a weekend one in terms of our multi. So Queensland to beat New South Wales over there in Perth, Neutral ground, New South Wales, uh, of course, destined to try and keep the series alive. Uh, but Queensland, I think, will beat them at $2.08. Uh, I also believe the Kiwis will overcome Tonga. I think it'll be physical and be a great atmosphere, great game of rugby league. Kiwis to win that at $1.27. Uh, and later this afternoon in um, Major League Baseball action, 
I'm going to stay with the Yankees today. The Yankees to beat the Tampa Bay Rays at a buck sixty-two. Uh, that will get you four dollars twenty-eight. I wish you all the very best. After ten o'clock, we shall be talking cricket with Adam Collins out of the UK. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Most amount of boundaries ever in a test match. Daniel Norcross are like that on the way out the box. There's never been a test match with more boundaries. Can you believe it? What an extraordinary five days it's been here in Nottingham. Last ball in the bolt over to Stokes on 71. Four to win. And Stokes slaps it away for four three points. Of course he raced it with a boundary. The captain in style, unbeaten on 75. England win by five wickets. And they do it with 22 overs to spare. This is an England team reborn and revitalised under the leadership axis of McCullum and Stokes. And it's only fitting that the captain does it just like that. Three fours in an over. Wow. Well, the third and final test between New Zealand and England is set to get underway 10pm tonight New Zealand time with live ball-by-ball coverage here on SENZ. And while Brendan McCullum has already managed to notch up a first series win as England's new coach, there's still plenty of intrigue about this match at Headingley. Uh, will Baz go for the kill? Will we see another episode of Bazball, as they're starting to call it? And what can Gary Stead do to adjust and to try and uh, come back at England for this particular occasion? Joining us now is uh, a very highly accomplished broadcaster out of uh, England, uh, Adam Collins. Uh, Adam, uh, good evening to you. New Zealand time, uh, England time, I should say. Uh, let's look at this test match. Uh, mate, first of all, let's look at the mass units in both, uh, both particular squads. Uh, we're hearing Stokes is okay, but Anderson is not. Is that right? Yeah, that's about the, the thick of it here. Uh, ben Stokes, for about 24 hours, we thought he might be missing this test match. There's a lot of speculation that, that both Overtons could play. Craig effectively replacing Stokes and Jamie Overton, his twin brother, in for Jimmy Anderson. In the end, Stokes batted today and batted fine in the net, so he'll be named at the toss tomorrow, the England captain. And Jamie Overton will get his test to boo. So uh, much as it was with Matty Potts, who came in, for the first test match that they're picking you know, on the basis of county form uh, and they've got to dig pretty deep England remembering all of those players have been out with back stress fractures and all of their quick bowlers are missing at the moment with the exception of Broad and Anderson and Matty Potts who came in and, and there's Jamie Overton he's been playing well for Surrey get to start and Anderson's the one who misses with an ankle niggle my understanding is that Anderson probably would have played had it been a series on the line type situation but Having wrapped it up 2-0 at Nottingham last week, they're, they're playing the conservative option, mindful that they have another test match against India in just over a week. So Anderson misses in favour of Jamie Overton. How about the top order? Will there be a shift there, or are they going to stay faithful to Crawley, you, you think? Yeah, well, they are going to stay faithful to Crawley. It's a funny one, isn't it? We, we all know that Crawley can compete at the top level. That extraordinary 268 against Pakistan a couple of years ago reinforces that point. And he's shown signs. He shows signs. He, he, you know, you see a lot from him and you think he's going to be a test player. The issue is the, the consistent run of low scores and there was two of them again last week, albeit sorted out by Trent Bolt Beauty in the first innings and out cheaply in the second as well, caught behind. So uh, probably gets another chance. And I think that sort of longer term, that they want him to be a test cricketer. So they're giving him every opportunity. So, And the other side of this is they want to stick with a winning team, having 
um, done such a great job at Lords to drag it back and win and chase down 277. And then last week, uh, the ostentatious approach to chasing down 299 in just 50 mm. overs, winning with 22 overs to spare. They're reticent to change a winning team, and you can understand that. Okay, let's uh, look at perhaps uh, the conditions. What, what are we thinking about this Headingley pitch going into this? Flat. All, all signs look flat, um, which might bring spin into play in a way that it's not really been in the first two test matches. New Zealand went with four quicks last week. I, I wouldn't be surprised, and sort of the word on the street, if you like, is that HS Patel might come back into calculations. He only bowled two overs at Lords in the first test match, and he wasn't bowled when it really mattered. They, they, they tried him before T and, and on the, what became the, the penultimate day, uh, and it didn't work against Ben Stokes, who made a decision to go after the left-arm spin. So Ajaz Patel, most certainly in the frame on a surface that should be flat and hard. And for England, they'll stick with Jack Leach. So, yeah, I think on that basis, we can expect a fairly conventional three-seamers uh, three and one spinner from both teams. What about the England's attitude now? I mean, you, you've seen a drastic change in performance on the field, but what about the attitude for this test match? You know, traditionally, dead rubbers are just that, and sometimes you just go, go through the motions. But I sense that's not the case this time around with this English uh, hierarchy. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I was talking to Brenda McCullum, the, the England coach, earlier today for an interview that will go up on SENZ later this morning, and, and there, there's no dead rubber syndrome where Bass is involved. His attitude is that he's got a responsibility, not only as the England coach, but this sort of broader attitude towards uh, Test cricket. He, he wants to provide a great advertisement for Test cricket around the world. I'm sorry about the, the noise outside here, by the way. There's been a I don't know what's going on at the at the back here with a, a bit of construction work, uh, but no, Baz is, is clearly clearly of the view that uh, that they they want to uh, not only win this week, but they want to do something special where they can enhance the status of Test cricket around the world. And we saw evidence of that at Nottingham last week with the way they chased down two ninety nine. So I wouldn't doubt for a half that they determined to win three nil and, and to make a bit of a statement. They've got India here next week, who most would declare as the best Test team in the world and then three test matches against South Africa uh, in August and September. So, yeah, it's a good opportunity for them to continue the, the momentum they're building under McCullum, who has totally changed the mindset. I was at the Ashes in Australia earlier this year, and they were, they were a broken team, and this feels and looks very different. And, and I think that has a lot to do with the leadership of McCullum and Stokes, who've come together at the right time. McCullum uh, speaks in the interview I did with him of, of the fact that Stokes has arrived at the perfect time for him as captain. It's like, they're kindred spirits, and they're leading this team together, and they're fearless, and they don't care about losing so long as they give themselves a chance to win. So whether they're successful in the long term or otherwise, I suspect the England team will be a really interesting one to follow over the next couple of years. Adam, uh, I, I also sense from this far away that uh, the England public in particular, the England cricket fans, are buying into it very quickly. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, England's... Uh, as you know, Smithy, it's a conservative, cautious cricketing nation. I mean, their their starting point is don't lose first, then win. And I just sense that maybe a bit of that white ball philosophy that, that has kicked into their red ball game and taking the public on that journey shouldn't be as complex as it might have been a generation ago. I guess it's a broader philosophical question about whether they're ready for someone like Stokes, but given how turgid their test cricket's been over the last couple of years, the last four or five years, to be, to be truthful, um, we saw at Lords last year they were set 277 to win on the final day in 80 odd overs, and they never considered chasing it down. Well, I mean the contrast is clear for all for all to see. Uh, and yeah, my sense is that the public just love Brendan McCullum. He was a 
he was a, an outsider for the job. I don't think anyone really factored in him to be a contender for the job, but now they've given it to him. Uh, there's a lot of support from him within England cricket, and that'll happen when you've got a winning team. Uh, okay, let's uh, just cross the fence here to New Zealand. They, they entered this series uh, with a, a, a bit of a hope, I guess, of, of holding on to the possibility of the World Test Championship. I think that's pretty much done and dusted now. But for them, yeah. um, what is their incentive here uh, with Williamson back? And, and what do you think perhaps they might do with the rest of their bowling lineup? Well, I think Wagner will play. I mean, uh, the fact that he hasn't played the first two Test matches, despite being yeah, you look at the bowling averages of Bolton Southie when when Wagner plays about five runs fewer per wicket. I mean, he he provides ballast to that attack, and I think in hindsight, when they review this series, they'll regret not not having played him until now. So he'll get his chance on the surface that should suit. Uh, more broadly, what what's in it for New Zealand? Well, they've got to arrest this, don't they? I mean, New Zealand twelve months ago, it, it feels hard to believe they were the world champions twelve months ago, uh, beating India in a thrilling contest at the AGS Bowl. And where they are at the moment, I mean, they've had their moments in this series. They're not, they're not a rabble or anything like that, but it, it, there's a bit of a broader trend here, isn't there? They, they had a poor home summer, taken as a whole, uh, of course, losing to Bangladesh, and, and they lost to Test South Africa as well. And, and they were almost unbeatable at home for the couple of years before that. So I, I think there's a, a sense of making sure they leave this on a high note uh, with a view to laying a bit of a foundation upon what will be their next tilt, that they can't make World Test Championship final. Mathematically, maybe barely, but they would need to run the table. I don't think they could even get there from winning every test from here. So it's not so much about defending their crown. It's about um, how they can sort of lay a marker, whether it's Williamson or Latham leading medium to long term, who knows? The point I'd make is that Kane Williamson took over the side six and a half years ago. That's a really long time to be an international captain. It does take a toll. Sure, they don't play quite as much test cricket as Australia or, or or England, or, or India for that matter, but still, being in that role for such a long stretch of time, there might be a pause for thought about the leadership, nothing to do with Williamson, just purely down to how long he's been in the job, and whether they want to see him at his absolute best, and we've seen from uh, England with Joe Root uh, liberating him in, in recent times, no longer having that captain's armband, he's taken his game to yet another level, so there might be some temptation there, but in the short term, uh, salvage a bit of pride and, and see what's possible in the next 12 months. Uh, Adam, of course, they've been playing against uh, the Netherlands as well in white ball cricket. They've swept them, and uh, on one particular occasion, they, they nearly topped 500, which is unbelievable. Uh, on the back of Josh mm-hmm. Butler. Now, Josh Butler's not uh, at this stage being considered by uh, Brendan McCullum for the test side. He's going to try and nurture it. But the way they want to play the game, the kind of form he's in, you know, the Baz ball is where it's been labelled here. Do you think Butler uh, should uh, close the door on test cricket, or do you think he's a real possibility? Oh, I wouldn't be closing the door at all. I mean, we saw what happened in 2018 when uh, when they, they had a change in chief selector. Ed Smith came in, and his overarching view is that you've got to pick the best cricketers in the country. And it's hard to mount a case that Butler isn't one of the best 11 players in England. The issue has been is that when he's had his test opportunities, he's playing hot and cold. But, I mean, look at Johnny Bairstow. He's another player in that realm who, at white ball level, has been a world beater, has never been consistent as a test cricketer with the exception of one summer in 2016. And it, it seems as though McCullum is bringing the best out of Bairstow. And on that basis, so, yeah, I have thought that myself, whether they might be tempted to give Butler one more opportunity in the whites with the red ball. Because right now, they, they, they just lack that fear factor. Like They had this, this sense about them that they were always vulnerable under Chris Silverwood. 
and McCullum seems, seems to have relieved them of that. And on that basis, it, it might be the right time to see whether a player like Josh Butler is a little bit like Glenn Maxwell in an Australian context. Can you imagine mm-hmm. watching, you know, Butler or Maxwell properly take the Test cricket and what might be achievable? And I mentioned it before, but McCullum doesn't just see this as a job about taking England to the top of the world again. He sees it as an opportunity to enhance the status of Test cricket. And the translation between white ball and red ball has never been more acute. So if there is a chance to, to bring him back, I think they'll consider it. On the other hand, um, someone like Ben Folks, who they have, they've gone back and forth with a little bit over the years. He's the best wicketkeeper, pure wicketkeeper in the country. There's no doubt about that. And he's been influential in both test matches with the bat for the first time in a long time. So he'll get his opportunity. But if it doesn't work out with Folks, I wouldn't be surprised if they do turn back to Butler. Forecast uh, okay for the first day or two? Yeah, first couple of days are fine. It, 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 we might see some rain about uh, later in the test match. So uh, we're, we're mindful of that in terms of uh, uh, this going, the, the full journey. But yeah, as I say, flat track, a bit of rain about. I wouldn't be surprised if this goes the whole way. What about the commentary team? How's the commentary team coping? I, I understand you even might have shared a flat or something at Nottingham. What, what's, what, are the digs like in, in, what are the digs like in Leeds? And what's, is Coney doing some cooking? I'm watching Coney right now devouring a pad thai in front of me. I did offer him up. I said, Jeremy, do you want to talk to your old teammate? He said, no, no. No, I'm very happy with my dinner right now. He turned 70 yesterday, Jeremy. Uh, so oh we're, we're sort of having a bit of a quasi-birthday dinner for him. I was uh, having a conversation with him before about the 1983 Test match here at Leeds, which was the first time that New Zealand ever won in this country with uh, Jeremy out there uh, hitting the winning runs and with... Uh, uh, picking up Ian Botham and Alan Lamb in the second innings with the ball and uh, John Wright making 93 and Ewan Chatfield taking Pfeiffer. So he's got a brilliant memory and uh, I look forward to him you know, telling all those stories this week. And yes, our accommodation, uh, we've, we've uh, graduated from a, I don't know if I can say this, but I will anyway. We were in a, a renovated brothel last week, uh, one that has been turned into an Airbnb. So the only way is up. <laughs> the only way is up. Well, the only way is up for New Zealand as well in this test match. Of course, 2-0 uh, down. They've got to try and uh, get something out of the series. Uh, Adam Collins, uh, let you get back to your pad tie as well. And uh, we'll look forward to your ball-by-ball uh, commentary of this test match along with uh, the rest of the crew. Give our best to Jeremy Coney for his 70th. Uh, and thank you very much for your time. Cheers, Ruthie. Side by side, uh, I'll start with you, Tom, because you're the senior, I understand. Um, the Super Rugby uh, debate that's uh, r- starting to rear, I guess, a sort of an ugly head between Australia and New Zealand. How are you seeing this uh, at its early stages? Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Um, look, it's, uh, to begin with, to be honest, um, Smithy, I, I, my first read of this was it's a little bit of um, hot air from the Rugby Australia uh, chairman, who has been known to say a few things, hasn't he, over the the time and rightly so he's been standing up for his his body that's what he's got to do it's his players it's his, his organization it's uh, the sport over there that he he represents and I, I have no problem with that I, i'm a little bit perplexed as to obviously the timing like a lot of people the, the timing of which he made these comments and then the, the the subsequent kind of double down um despite the fact of you know reading this morning um smithy and chappy that, that that the there is some some kind of he's getting a, a few warnings or a few suggestions just to perhaps look in his own backyard just initially to make sure he's got all the numbers stacked up here before you start sort of threatening so it's a an interesting perspective um i certainly don't have any um, beef with him um, making the comments and wanting to do what's best for 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 rugby on australia but it appears to me some pretty smart heads including the current wallabies coach is kind of uh, perhaps urging 
Um, maybe don't don't pull the trigger too early, pal. We we need to kind of make sure this is right for us, and, and perhaps playing against New Zealand in this this um, Super Rugby Pacific competition is the way to go. So interesting perspective, Smithy, but uh, I'm not convinced that um, it's anything other than uh, a bit of hot air. Okay, Alex Chapman, what's your view on it? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, buddy. Um, I, I I have no issue with the facts that he said it. I think the way he's gone about it is pretty disappointing, though. Um, he, I, and I think he's kidding himself, to be honest, if he thinks that Rugby Australia can thrive without New Zealand Rugby. They're struggling to survive as is, let alone thrive. So New Zealand Rugby holds most of the cards here, and I think for whatever reason, McLennan has decided to play this out in public and having a crack at an organisation which does have more power than his own. From what I understand, Angel has actually barely heard anything from him about this before the subs play out last week and we're incredibly frustrated with how it's all played out and as Tom says, if, if even Dave Rennie's raising concerns about it then you, you're probably a little bit offside there. Tom, do you reckon if we if, just say it eventuated, I mean it's you know it's a long way off ever happening that way but if it eventuated we, we were and they were to go it alone, how do you think it would affect our standard of rugby? Yeah, I'd be concerned, I've got to say, uh, Smithy, I'd, I'd be concerned that uh, we wouldn't be exposing enough of our professional players to a, to a different style. I mean, one of the things that, that worried me particularly, and it, and it still worries me, to be honest, about the, the loss of the South Africans to the Super Rugby competition is that's a style of rugby that um, you know, puts our, our best players um, in a different environment and puts them you know, well, not only kind of uh, having to travel to the Republic, but also just the, the combative way that the, the South Africans approach the game. And I know that Australia tends to play a similar um, style to us, but still they bring something different. They bring, um, you know, they bring faces that, and game plans perhaps that, um, that can challenge the New Zealand teams. And obviously currently we, uh, from a New Zealand perspective, have, have the measure of that, but that's not to say down the line. I mean, I think the... Um, you know, some of the stuff we saw out of the, the Brumbies this year suggests that that's, it's a challenging style to play when it's played well. And I think it's a good challenge for New Zealand. So I'd be concerned that we would lose that. Uh, would it have an impact on um, our ability to put out a, a really top, uh, like all-back squad, for example, uh, Smithy? I'm, I'm not too sure whether that would have a, uh, an immediate impact, but I just think if it was to be a long-term thing, then you're just taking something away from from the current group that, that are out there, the current um, five super clubs and, and Wana Pacifica and those things, that, that, that is good to be exposed to. So, yeah, um, would it have an impact? I think it would, it would eventually. OK, interesting. Uh, of course, the third cricket test starts tonight, uh, Alex Chapman. Uh, so a lot of people we're burning the midnight oil for, uh, perhaps a dead rubber. But uh, from my point of view, it's a seriously important game for the New Zealand cricket team in particular. Uh, to arrest or stop the bleeding as such and uh, just say that uh, they're not a unit uh, that is uh, going through a bit of a crisis period. Well, and they're a team that hasn't been swept in, I think it was 2016 was the last time they lost a, a series. So I was swept in a series by England. So it's it's been a long time coming. And you say there's pressure on the team. I don't think I'd ever think I'd say this, but there's pressure on the captain. Because Kane Williamson is now coming back into a team which... Scored 550 in the first innings in the second test. Looked really good and, yeah, kind of fell over a little bit in, in the second innings. But at the end of the day, England just had an absolute day out with the bat themselves and New Zealand didn't bowl overly well. But Williamson, I don't know if it's, it's, uh, if it's the elbow is playing with his head a little bit or, or what. Because, and, and 
don't get me wrong, Kane Williamson is probably one of the most mentally strong people that we've ever had in the history of New Zealand cricket, or well, New Zealand sport, low New Zealand cricket. So I, I'm not sure if it's that or, or he's just a little bit out of neck or what, but Williamson needs to, to come out and play a, a captain's role. But I'm, I'm stoked to see Neil Wagner is probably going to be back in this team. I'm excited to see if Ajaz Patel ends up bowling more than two overs like he did in the first test. Um, and, and this New Zealand team really does just need to front and go up against a team which is riding an absolute wave of confidence at the moment, and that is a very dangerous team to be playing against. It certainly is, uh, and we, we all know uh, from our point of view, a, a, a very positive and performing Brendan McCullum on the field of play was um, a great asset, and a, a, it now appears, Tom, as if he's just settled into this new job unbelievably quickly, and it's a hell of a high-pressure job coaching England at cricket. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you couldn't have, uh, you know, he couldn't have walk, walked into a more difficult situation, really, could he, really, in terms of um, the fact that England were you're low on confidence and, you know, they'd, they'd removed the captaincy from, you know, one of their, their greats and, and Joe Root and, and left him kind of just to focus on run scoring, which he was doing already. Um, but I just, I do, I, I feel like he's, it's it's kind of a remarkable story of um, and and of course you're just talking there before um, Smithy about um, you know the the sort of the, the chance for New Zealand to respond here to to what's happened and and they're responding against the team that is playing the game that they like to play the that confidence approach that no fear approach and and what's the response going to be to to find yourself two 0 down in a series um, against the team that had a new captain and a new coach yeah I mean maybe a lot of people didn't see that coming but. Uh, it's certainly presented a heck of a challenge for this New Zealand squad, and, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how they, they go about trying to wrestle it. So I don't think they've played badly in the, in the series. There has been some moments, obviously, where it hasn't been hasn't been great, but they were they were just beaten by you know a, a, you know as Chappie said, a, a team riding that wave of confidence. I and mean, day five at Trent Bridge was was something else. It's a, you just don't see that very often, and uh, and I can't wait to see how they respond here. I think this is a, it's all set up brilliantly, and in the, the inclusion of particularly of Neil Wagner. Um, I'm always, I'd always try and have him in my team if I could. Uh, Smithy, that's just my personal um, approach in it. I know that um, there's, there's rhymes and reasons for, for different selections, but I love the way he plays the game. I love what he's done for New Zealand. I think this is the kind of guy that perhaps they need at this particular stage of this series. So really looking forward to this one. Yeah, I'd be picking him. There's no doubt about that. Um, I'd be picking him. I haven't seen the pitch. From all accounts, uh, it, uh, the weather might be fine for the first one or two days, which means it might dry out more quickly. And I'd love to see uh, a specialist spinner have a crack uh, at England because I know England are going to have a crack at a specialist spinner and it's a good test of Ajaz Patel's uh, metal, really, uh, more than anything else, as to whether he can bowl himself through that uh, particular onslaught. That will be the McCullum-Stokes way. You can bet on that. It is 10.30 here on SENZ. Alex Chapman and Tom Bartlett are with us this morning on the panel. Uh, we'll be back shortly. Uh, we might look at some uh, rugby league coming up this weekend, bit of golf and uh, a story coming out of Eden Park that they might need some money to help them out. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. We have Tom Bartlett with us this morning and we also have uh, Alex Chapman as our two panellists. And uh, Alex, uh, I think Mount Smart, uh, you know, seen a little bit of uh, Moana Pacifica rugby um, they've had some decent sort of crowds there, but uh, I think they're going to uh, almost put the SRO, the standing room only, sign up uh, this weekend. It's going to be massive, the Kiwis uh, and Tonga. What an occasion. And uh, Michael Maguire has named four debutants uh, in his squad to take the visitors on. 
Yeah, who would have thought that both a rugby team and an international rugby league team would be back at Mount Smart before the Warriors, but uh, such are the times. For the, um, I think for, for some casual NRL fans, they may not know a lot of these or some of these Kiwis players, but you look at someone like Dylan Brown, who's an absolute gun. Uh, I love this halves combination for the Kiwis. I think it's really going to have a lot of excitement and a lot of wizardry about it, led by Jerome Hughes. And, and then what a story is, is Ronaldo Molotalo. And I thought um, the story that, a little bit of a shameless plug, newsub.co.nz if you want to see it, James Regan, one of my colleagues, did yesterday with him. It's a remarkable story. He thought he was going to be playing Origin a year ago, and now he's playing for New Zealand. So the fact that he's going to potentially have a point to prove uh, as well, it's a mobile but also big forward pack for New Zealand. And uh, I think Tonga will be in it for a little bit of a game, uh, and then New Zealand potentially will, will probably just run over the top of them. And, and the odds at the tab suggest that as well. And the Kiwi Ferns as a curtain raiser, so both uh, the men and women having a, a, a crack at International League for the first time in a while. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, Tom Bartlett, it, uh, it's a nice, interesting exercise, and, and uh, here's a chance for Michael Maguire to get a, a win under his belt after losing his job uh, at West, of course. Um, and for only one, only one warrior as part of the group, which um, is a little bit disappointing, I would imagine, but I suppose predictable. Yeah, look, I don't think there's too many, um, you know, arguments really, uh, Smithy, around the, the squad that Michael Maguire is. First, I know there was some, uh, you know, a bit of comment around Sean Johnson and, and his place in, in the international game, perhaps going forward and those kind of things. But look, Michael Maguire, is, his job is to is to coach a team that that can win and can beat beat Tonga, a very good Tongan team. So um, I, I don't think there's any, as I say, any argument against the team. I think Michael Maguire, um, yeah, you, you touched on the fact that he's had a pretty tough, tough old time at club level with the, uh, you know, the, the, the loss of his job at, at the Tigers. But look, he's a he's a focused coach. He's a good coach. He knows how to get the best out of players when when he needs to. And I think this group. I mean, you, t- you know, Chappie touched on, you know, the, the Dylan Browns and particularly Ronaldo Militalo and, and Moses Liotto, the Panthers, part of that Panthers side that's gone so well uh, in the last couple of years. There are some, some debutants in this Kiwi team, but there are also, there's a core there um, of experienced players. I mean, someone like Kieran Foran, I think, we're a long time, uh, perhaps uh, we had thought maybe we'd seen the last of Kieran Foran in a Kiwi's jumper, but... Remembering he's, he's just 31, he's not that old, but he's just had so many problems. So I can't wait to see this uh, this game, uh, Smithy. I think it's a it's a Tonga. Uh, it's been spoken about for so long, but they did bring the international game back to life uh, when they burst um, back into back into things mm. a few years ago. And while we haven't seen rugby league for a while, um, what a chance to do it at, at Mount Smart, a, a spiritual home of rugby league in New Zealand, and 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 a, and a place where you'll just that, that, that sea of red, uh, you won't be able to make it. No, you won't be able to miss it. I, I well remember, you know, the, the sight of the almost the convoy travelling to that game with the flags and the people basically hanging out the windows. It was just um, unbelievably special last time around. So if they can get any sort of that, uh, semblance of that, uh, over the weekend at Mount Smart, they're uh, in for a party and a half. You know, fellas, and uh, I'll start with you, Tom, on this one. Uh, golf was uh, always one of those sports where you thought was almost untouchable in, in terms of well, trouble, splits, all sorts of things, um, people name-calling, etc. But now it, it really is going through the ringer. Uh, and now we hear that uh, the British Open, run, of course, by the RNA, probably one of the most uh, proper sporting bodies in the world, has uh, decided to allow the LIV, the Live Golfers, uh, into the uh, Open Championship, which was an interesting one. It's sort of, 
I would imagine disappoints uh, the PGA people. They're looking to to have a united force against this LIVs. How do you, how do you read this situation? Kepka looks like it's going to the LIV. Where do you think this is going to end, or is it ever going to end? Great, great question, Smithy. I mean, you touched on the fact that the RNA. I mean, if ever there was a a conservative, let's stick to the uh, to the past kind of organisation, it's, it's those guys. They they have really struggled to move with the times at times. So that's why I'm kind of stunned that they've they've just said, you know what, you know, we're just going to let this happen, um, just because of their their history, I suppose, and 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 being a bit resistant to this kind of stuff. But I don't know if we are going to see the end of it. Clearly, there are a group of um, golfers that will stay loyal to the PGA um, and have said that very publicly whether or not, I mean I know that Brooks Kepka had talked, uh, had given indications not that long ago that he wasn't that interested in joining this, this Saudi-backed um, live golf tournament, uh, golf event and yet here he is, so I don't know whether money's spoken in his uh, his will or not but he's obviously, I wouldn't call it a, a change of direction from him but he certainly indicated he was more likely to stay uh, with the PGA but he, he clearly hasn't so with that in mind um, who really knows where it's going to stop? Because we're hearing a lot of uh, talk from those who are currently, you know, have committed to the PGA, say they're going to stay and do, and, you know, and play on that tour, that they won't be making a switch. But I, I get the feeling, you know, every man who might have his price on this, uh, Smithy. I hope that's not the case, but um, it can be. Uh, you can understand why they might just be getting a little bit like, well, maybe we need to get on board with this or not. It's an interesting one for me, uh, Alex, because one of the things that uh, I, I would imagine those players, I won't say deserting and going, uh, just crossing the fence and playing on the LIV uh, mini circuit as it is as such, one of the things that would have concerned them the most was the fact that they might not be allowed to play the majors. Now, of course, the US Golf Association let them play the US Open. Uh, the RNA are going to let them play the Open Championship as such. So all of a sudden, it may be not quite so... Um, harmful to their desires within their careers if they can still play the majors. Yeah, if majors are going to let them keep playing, then players are going to keep jumping across, aren't they? If they can still play the pinnacle events like the majors and earn even more money by playing on the Live Tour than they would on the PGA, and they don't have to worry about going and playing some random midweek tournament in middle of nowhere Ohio, for example, just to keep things turning over then they're going to keep jumping across. They're the most morally upright people in the world, which golfers have shown in the last month or so, that apparently they're not, as we've seen with Brooks Kepka. And as Tom mentioned, the fact that not that long ago he said he going to stay with the PGA Tour, and now all of a sudden the check has come calling and he's going to jump across. And I suppose in some ways it is understandable, and it's a position I don't know if I'd want to be in uh, as, as a person, to think, OK, do I chase the money or do I stay morally upright. I think the way a lot of the, the golfers have handled those questions of their morals, and we saw it last week with the likes of um, Lee Westwood, I think it was, and the fact that they've been really pushed on it and how comfortable they are with it, and we saw it yesterday with Anthony Joshua, the boxer, as well. That That's really a uh, rock and a hard place type situation, I think, for some of them, if they haven't really thought about it, and I think the immediacy of this and the, how quickly they have jumped to and from or jumped straight into this tournament, that perhaps they haven't had time to stop and think and reflect of the overall potential outcomes of it, and I thought Rory McIlroy has actually become really good at kind of becoming the, the voice of the PGA players at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, McIlroy v Greg Norman. Um, McIlroy, I, I just sense uh, if I was watching the, the Canadian Open, of course, which he won, and then the, uh, the uh, United States Open, 
seems extremely, extremely popular, even more so than he has been in the past uh, because of his open stance for, uh, I guess, uh, the tried and true. Uh, a story coming out of uh, Eden Park, I just saw a headline not uh, too long ago, actually, uh, Alex Chapman, uh, the trust seeking $6.3 million in ratepayer money as such. How do you think that'll go down? <laughs> I think the tone of your voice says it all, how it's going to go down for me. Uh, if it's because they, they're concerned about how it's going to look with the FIFA World Cup, then I guess they have to do it. But it, it shows, and I, I love Eden Park. I love Eden Park for the history of it. I love Eden Park for going and sitting in, in the most upright and hot, high parts of the stadium and watching my Super Rugby team get absolutely bent over by the Crusaders last weekend. I even enjoyed that, believe it or not. <laughs> and I know a lot of non-Aucklanders might not like hearing this, um, because we do whinge about it a lot, but it probably shows what a terrible decision it was, what, 15 years ago to not have this multi-purpose mm. waterfront stadium. Uh, and it's like, I love Eden Park. I've had some wonderful personal memories of going to Eden Park, but it, 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 it's worn out and we, we need some sort of a solution. And I don't think throwing millions of dollars every year or two at it is the solution at the moment. Okay, and Tom Bartlett, you've uh, seen plenty of sport at Eden Park. What are you, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I tend to agree, but I, I feel like this is the um, this is it's like this is the bed you've got to sleep in it. We've we had a chance, and I say we, uh, me, I didn't have a, I didn't have a vote on it. But, um, the you know there was a chance a few years ago to to do something different, and that was rejected. So. Uh, and whoever is responsible for that council, you know, governments, ratepayers, whoever was had a vote at the table, in the end we stuck with Eden Park. We've um, got this stadium. Um, it does. It is rich in history. Do I think we, we would be better served by another one? Yes. But in the meantime, we have to keep this up to a standard that we don't compromise or, or uh, put at risk big events. If we're going to, you know, at the moment Eden Park is obviously a, you know, a pretty much a, a rugby ground with with cricket played there. You know, and certainly in recent times, very recently. So we need, if we're going to try and get events like the World Cup, the Women's World Cup in particular, that's obviously due here next year, we need to keep Eden Park at a level. And they need $6.3 million to do that. And as long as that money's been, been well spent, then I feel like this is the, um, unfortunately, this, that's the price we're going to have to pay to, to ensure that, that Auckland um, keeps top-level sport. To- totally agree. I think it's a fait accompli. I really do. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I was going to say, if, if we are going to put money into a stadium, though, and I, as I say, I'm an Aucklander, I'm a proud Aucklander, it needs to be Christchurch. If we are going to put any money into a stadium, it has to be Christchurch. It's not about building a new one in Auckland or pumping money into a park. We need to be prioritising that. Okay. Um, certainly something's got to happen down there. There's no doubt about it. Alex Chapman, Tom Bartlett have been our panellists this morning. Thank you very much, uh, gentlemen. Have uh, an enjoyable extended weekend if you are able. Thank you for your time. We'll have another one uh, on Monday morning at its 10.44. Number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. It might be Season 2, but our charity is still the same, and that is uh, Women's Refuge at this stage uh, in terms of the pacing side of it. Uh, We've only raised $395, so we need to get our uh, proverbials into gear here and uh, get some more money for that uh, wonderful charity. So uh, we will look at uh, Cambridge today, I think. Race 8, number 2. We're going for uh, a horse called Fire and Delight. It's fresh up. This horse, a decent talent, 
and uh, certainly looks the one to beat for trainer, driver Dylan Ferguson, who of course uh, trains in partnership with the legend who is Graham Rogerson. So those familiar colours, we're looking for them to cross the line first at uh, Cambridge today, race eight, number two, Fire and Delight, to add to our pool of funds. Uh, we will be talking to Louis Herman Watt uh, shortly and to uh, Pip Morris uh, representing the TAB. Uh, here's a thought uh, from Jason from Australia. has just come in with a text. New Zealand Warriors should get Brad Fiddler as their next coach. Have his New South Wales Blues coaching panel as the Warriors coaching panel. And some of those guys can get starts and further develop the Warriors Futures Academy across New Zealand. Great idea, Jason. Do you want to bankroll that? Would you have any? Jason, would you like to top up with the millions for that? That's a terrific idea. But to get uh, a coaching staff of that calibre across the board might cost us a fair amount of money. To be fair, but um, I'd, I'd be on board with that one. Wouldn't worry me at all. 10.51. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Louis Herman Watt is probably, if I know Louis Herman Watt, at the rubbery dub already now, starting his long weekend in earnest. But uh, he's taken time out to spend uh, a little bit of time with us as we look today at Omaru, starting uh, with seven races just after midday. Yeah, how cool for Omaru to get a, a race meet. They they have done a good job through winter, as we learned this morning, a couple of, for a few years now, and um, they get their first race meet today for the year and Andrew Carsten who joined the show said show Baz well I'd love if the Black Cats showed Baz a taste of defeat but show Baz in race 5 could be an each way chance for the Carsten stables down there and Andrew Smithy actually said and reminded us that on Saturday he is travelling one north as well as his runners at Rickenham and race number 7 the Team Wheelands Tauranga Classic this race comes up strong but the wait for age fillies and mares 1400 it is a ripper this year and Jodelyn Gow, do you remember when she came down and, and scrapped hard on that heavy track at Hastings for a win last start? That's correct. I remember it well, yeah. So she's um, she's t- coming up here, and I think what I read about Carl Henderson, the trainer, is he's thinking that she, they might be able to keep Jodelyn Gow up. She gets through the wet tracks, get her a rock-hard fit, and she's a talented Swiss ace mare, and maybe come down there and nick the Tarzino, because as you know, it's hard to get a run into those really nice Tarzino horses, Smithy, because uh, mm. into September, the tracks are wet. Often the Foxbridge plate is too wet or it doesn't quite work. So if she's rock hard fit, she might be able to nick herself a group one. So that's the plan for Carl Henderson in the race seven at Tauranga with Jodel and Gal. Watch her out. I reckon she's a, a real red hot shot. Good on you, Louis. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Pip Morris uh, from uh, the TAB for us this morning. Uh, busy Greyhound Day with Cambridge uh, starting just after midday, Addington and around 4.26 this afternoon, Pip. Good morning, Smithy. Certainly is. I'm just standing up in the commentary box. I'll be joining Aaron White today and kicking off the meeting. Really like uh, one a little later on through Portland Timmy for value in race number 10 on the programme at 8.50. And on the sports side of things, Smithy, the cricket, $5,000 on the draw at 3.25. There's been one and a half K put on England at one ninety five and a thousand dollars on New Zealand at three dollars and thirty five cents. So someone hoping the Kiwis can come back here in this game. And Conway and Mitchell are the two best backs for the top run scorer. 
And just quickly on the league, $8,000 multi on the Kiwis head-to-head versus Tonga. And New South Wales 1-12 total points under 39.5 to return 45000 Good God, what a bet that is. I'll be keeping my eye on that one, Pip. Have a great call today and a terrific weekend yourself. Uh, ice hockey. Ice hockey after the break. We're going to be talking to Stefan Amston and uh, most of the questions will be posed by producer Logan Swinkles because he knows the game. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, coming up to 11.03 here on SENZ and uh, the NHL Stanley Cup Finals currently has the Colorado Avalanche enjoying a 2-1 series lead over the back-to-back champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Can Tampa win today to tie the series? Or will Colorado go into the weekend with uh, quite a commanding advantage? Well, currently the TAB cannot split them. They're a buck eighty-seven apiece. They cannot split the two today on the back of Tampa's uh, convincing six-two win in Game Three. But closer to home, the New Zealand Ice Hockey League begins their 2022 season tomorrow night when the Sky City Stampede host the Phoenix Thunder at the Queenstown Ice Arena. And joining us now on SENZ Mornings is a senior member of that Stampede side, Stephen Ampston. Uh, who also plays for the New Zealand Ice Blacks. Now, uh, I'm going to ask a, a couple of questions initially, and then I'm going to hand over the reins to uh, producer Logan Swinkles, who uh, is uh, pretty well uh, au fait with everything in, in ice hockey, including uh, touring to Mexico with the Ice Blacks uh, the last time they went away. But, Stefan, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks. For, thank you so much for having me. Hey, Stefan... Uh, the Stampede finished uh, the season on top last year, last year, of course, but the playoffs were disrupted by the uh, Omicron wave, and so a champion was never officially crowned. So I guess you've got some unfinished business here this season. Oh, for sure, it was it was a bit it was gut wrenching. Eh? We had we had a, such a good season. Um, everyone was firing all cylinders. We we're having such a good time. You know, we were on pace for it to be the only team to you know never be beaten during a regular play. So we were we were gutted. Uh, it's a difficult situation, though. Uh, I, res- I reckon New Zealand ice hockey's governing body, had, uh, like a lot of other sporting bodies, um, it was just too tough to to pull things together at times, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I guess it's 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 just so difficult being a national league. You know, we we travel up and down around the country, and you know, there's a lot of money that goes into it. So you know, as as, as hugely disappointed as we were about everything, you know, some parts of it are, are understandable. Uh, yes, Stefan, I mean, we talk about that with the import situation, right? When you talk about COVID, uh, you know, unless they were already in the country for the previous seasons, uh, you know, the borders were closed. So that really limited the choice of players available uh, to the teams in terms of import, uh, imports. How do you think that affected the quality of the hockey being played during the league? Oh, it was, I, I think imports are such a vital part of, of the New Zealand Ice Hockey League. You know, the experience they bring from overseas, you know, being born and bred in, in hockey playing nations, you know, that's, that's, you know, knowledge that, that people are bringing to New Zealand and, and to every team. So, you know, the lack of imports, you know, throughout the league was, I think, a, a huge loss, not just for the, for the young kids um, who can learn from them, but also for the, for the quality of, of, the, of the league in general. 
Uh, anyone that has ever been to a Stampede game already knows this, but Queenstown Ice Arena is just such an incredible place to play and watch the game. And, I mean, when you think of the Stampede, people probably don't know this, but you're somewhat of a dynasty in the NZHL. There was that three-peat between uh, 2015 and 17, the latest, of course, in 2019. It's hard to believe it's been that long. And we talk about home stadiums for, like, rugby teams being a fortress. So what is what makes the Queenstown Ice Arena such a, f- a fortress and a stronghold for you guys? Um, it's just it's just such a unique place to play, you know, in New Zealand. You know, the rink's a bit smaller, uh, so we, obviously we, we train on that every day. Um, which gives us a bit of an advantage when it comes to the physicality in the corners and how much time you'd, you'd have with the puck. You know, obviously having such a, having the crowd so, so close to the glass and so close to the play is awesome. Um, you know, it helps us along. Um, but yeah, just, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit smaller, um, and, and a bit more physical. And I think our team is, is better, uh, better adapted to that kind of play. You talked about unfinished business a moment ago with Smithy. Uh, things are looking a little bit different for you guys this year because you don't have the towering presence of uh, former captain Matt Schneider there. And people, I say towering because he's six foot seven, and that's before you even add skates. Uh, so he's taken a gap year from the game. How much of a hole does that leave in your roster? Um, obviously, obviously, it's a, a hard, you know, it's big shoes to fill um, for, for anyone. Really, he's been around for what ten years now, putting up huge numbers for the Stampede. Um, and you know, he's a captain, not just on the ice but off the ice. You know, he, he keeps guys accountable. Um, he makes sure that everyone is, you know, focused on what we need to do. You know, we'll, he'll be he'll be sorely missed. Um, but you know, hopefully, he makes a swift return next season, and, and you know, we'll keep we'll keep the, the fortress uh, alive for this season, hopefully. You've named, well, the Stampede have named uh, Mitchell Freer as a replacement captain and Connor Harrison and Callum Burns as the assistants. Uh, for those that don't know, the free name is quite big and synonymous in Queenstown Ice Hockey. So what kind of leadership does uh, Mitch bring alongside his brother Cameron, who's there as coach? Just, you know, hockey knowledge. Eh? They've, they've, they grew up playing the game together. They've, they've learned from each other. They've, they've come through the ranks. They've seen senior players. Um, above them, teach them things, and uh, now that they're they're in the on the range, you know they've they've got a calm, good presence. You know they've they've they bring they bring a lot of um, respect with them as well. You know, play, I think Mitchell's you know topped over 200 games in the ends of that show. You know, there's not many players have got that kind of experience. You know, the same for 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 Callum and for for Connor, both stalwarts in the in the team and, and got just years and years of experience you know then and they show it you know they they work hard on the ice to, to show the young kids that this is how you need to play if you if you want to be successful uh connor harrison brings a lot of qualities to the to the locker room and helps in that regard and then when you look at Callum burns he is you've played a lot of hockey alongside burnsy so how integral is he to the success of the stampede there Oh, he's obviously obviously a huge part. You know, he's a he's a great puck moving defenseman. You know, he's versatile. He's he's great defensively. You know, he 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 never has an off day, and, and that's what you get with, with with Callum. You know, he 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 works he works harder than anyone. Um, and he you know he's he never makes those those mistakes that usually are so costful. Uh, looking at the rest of the league, you know, there's been a couple of games there between the Auckland Marco and the Admirals and the Storm uh, Swarm. Sorry. How how does the Stampede roster stack up against the rest of the league? Um, I think we're 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 up there for sure. Like we, we've 
you know, even though the, the imports are gone, you know, we've always had a good base core of, of, of Kiwi guys who've, you know, played for New Zealand. Um, you know, we've got 10, 12 guys that have been around for, you know, five plus years. You know, we've got that core group um, that, that I think are, is competitive. It's not one of the, the better teams in the league. So um, definitely, you know, a few, few lost players last year, but I think we're still in, in good shape. One thing that has been sort of top of mind when we look at rugby and a lot of things going on in sport at the moment, the big thing is team culture. Now, when you look at the culture around the Stampede, uh, from, you know, from my experience, I see a lot of old boys of the club still stick around. They're involved. And when you walk around Queenstown, right, there's this kind of like level of expectation around town that this team is to compete for a title year in, year out. So how do you guys handle that kind of level of expectation? I think um, you know most of the pressure is probably from from the guys themselves. Um, you know, we 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 set super high expectations on us as a team, and and we make sure that you know we keep each other accountable. But obviously, the reason these old old boys are, are sticking around is because our team culture is that good. You know, no one retires from the stampede; they just take a bit of a, a leave of absence because you know you never know you never know when they're coming back, and that just says everything about. You know, the culture of the team, the fans, you know, the management of the team, you know, how, how well it's run. And I think that's, that's something that can't be missed either, you know, how, how professional all the volunteers are around the teams. You know, we, we, we get great A service. You know, we have the, the best you can get in New Zealand when it comes to team management, the rink, the fans. So, you know, all of that ties into to a great team culture, uh, which, I, which I think that's the reason why we're doing it year after year. One old boy uh, who you talk about players never retiring uh, out of the NZHL. It's such a true story. When you look at Bert Haynes, uh, the Silver Fox himself, if, if you don't know who I'm talking about, he was on those mainland uh, butter commercials a couple of years ago. So uh, guys like that, like what does he still bring to the team? Like, I notice he's still there on your roster. Can we see guys like that playing this year? Just, I mean, he's like, what, what's, I think Bert's like heading 41 now. Um, yeah, I think he's, he's probably past 40, but, you know, Silver Fox, he stays young forever. You know, if you keep yourself in shape, um, you know, there's always a spot for you in the Stampede if you've got the time. Obviously, there's a lot of other things in life than hockey. So I think um, I think Mr. Bert Haynes is tied up with, uh, with with kids and family, but, you know, he's always welcome back in the locker room at any time. You know, he's been the captain of the Stampede, he's been the captain of the, the New Zealand Ice Blacks, so, you know, well-respected. Um you know, hard-working guy, and, you know, those, those guys are, are, are hard to come by. Stefan, on the subject of the Ice Blacks, of course, uh, they haven't played, or, and you haven't played with them, of course, uh, since Mexico City back in 2019, so it's been a three-year absence. How badly uh, do we need to get the Ice Blacks uh, back up and running uh, with some, uh, some decent game time? Oh, it, it it needs to happen, you know. Everyone strives to, to play for the national team, you know, and it's a privilege and an honour to be able to do that. And when you don't have the recurrence of of, a, of something to strive for every year, you know, it's it's easy to lose lose sight of what you're doing. You know, when there's when there's not that next level to go for, um, it's tough. You know, we've got one year. Okay, you know, we'll come back next year, but then that gets cancelled. You know, it's been a, it's been a long grind for a lot of the guys who are, who are super keen to get back. And you know, hopefully we can rattle together some, some Trans-Tasman games, which I know are, are one of the more popular events of the year. So um, now we, we, we desperately want to get back out there and, and start competing for medals again. 
Uh, we're speaking with Stephen Amston here from the uh, Ice Blacks and the Sky City Stampede. The 2023 World Champs are set for April uh, next year, of course, but New Zealand, uh, they've definitely been handicapped a little bit here, don't you think, with how far away uh, the country is from the rest of the nations, uh, you know, the ones that we typically will, would compete against. There was no tournament in 2020 because of COVID. Last year, you saw Iceland win the division. Do you have a concern that after being away for so long that that might hamper how you compete when you come back to the, into the uh, international stage? Um, I, I definitely think so. You know, you you get used to it. If you do it every year, you get used to the speed. You know what to expect. Um, you can understand how the teams are looking. You, you know, you can follow them. But now with a few years off, you know, it's going to be the first year is going to be a bit of a test period to see, hey, how the other teams come along. You know, there's new nations uh, coming up. You know, Georgia is, is you know, a surprise uh, result in our group as well. You know, the UAE, I think, are, are taking a, a huge step forward in terms of in terms of their hockey development. You know, these are all new nations that are you know, constantly getting better. So, you know, those those teams that we might have beaten quite comfortably, you know, three years ago, it might be a completely different story now. Does that too apply to uh, Australia? Do you think, Stefan? I mean, uh, is there a gap emerging because of a, a lack of competition from our players now? If, if you lined up and uh, you know the next couple of weekends, how do you think you'd go? Oh, it'd be tough. Eh? They've, they've, they've obviously probably been, been even worse off than us. You know, we had a, almost a full season last year, so we were out there skating. Those, they, you know, the Aussies really had it tough when they, they couldn't even, even uh, get a, a season started. So I think we would still do well. You know, we've got a good, good core of, of Kiwis in the country um, that would that would stack up really nicely towards the Aussies. Obviously, we beat them last time we played, so you know they're probably out for re- revenge as well. Yeah, we've seen some pretty epic battles there between New Zealand uh, and Australia in the past. You know, you talk about most recently being in the Winter Games there. Uh, the pandemic kind of put an end to that, but isn't it time that we brought that back, the Trans-Tasman Series? Oh, 100%. You know, it's something that is, is you know, in, a, in our DNA, you know, beat the Aussies. Um, we need to do it, and, and we need to compete a lot. You know, we're we're pretty much on the same, you know, level in the game, you know, and and. It, also our closest neighbour, so we need to we need to revive the, the Trans Tasman for sure. And you know, one maybe host one year in Queenstown and the next year in Melbourne, um, and just do that. That would be awesome. Or even twice a year would be even better. Yeah, I would love to see that, Stefan. When you think about your time with the Ice Blacks, what have been some of your more memorable moments in your highlights there? Um, I think for personally, um, I think uh, you know I, I, I took home the. Um, the top defenseman of the tournament uh, back-to-back years, which is, which is quite a proud moment for me. Um, you know, obviously scoring the first goal, huge part of it. Um, but yeah, now we're, we're, we're uh, still, I think maybe the best one so far, even though it was a bit of a snub, was the silver medal in, in Spain. A uh, bit of a highlight. But now the, the travelling around we do with the, with the Ice Blacks is it's, it's something I look forward to every year and is, is almost always a highlight. Stephen, what are the numbers like, the playing numbers, um, below w- the, the level you guys are playing at with the Stampede, etc.? What, what is, I mean, what is the development path for a, a young kid who, who wants to, to take the game up as such? Um, I, I can only speak about what I see in, in Queenstown, but there are, there are a lot of kids. You know, I think you can, you can sign up for, uh, for the Kiwi Skate when you're maybe five, uh, even before that. And they go uh, once a week. I think get in touch with your local club. Um, they will they will point you in the right direction. But you know there is there is age grades all the way through. 
at least down, down here, um, where they help you with it, even with equipment, if you want to get started. You know, we, we've seen, I think probably since the pandemic started, a huge influx of, of social players, um, people that are you know, adults that are, are getting into the game um, and, you know, supporting the, the sport and really spreading the word of, of, of why, why ice hockey is, is such a good sport. You know, we've got multiple leagues running here um, every night. You know, the ice is fully booked at all times because of how, how big the sport is down here. So, you know, there, there, is, there is somewhere for everyone to go, you know, every level, every age group, um, uh, if you want to get started. Uh, the other thing, of course, is uh, it, it feeds off uh, television coverage, and it's never better than the, at the, the Stanley Cup, uh, of course, which uh, is quite intriguing at the moment, Stefan. I'm sure you're keeping a very close eye on it. Uh, Colorado are up 2-1 at the moment. Tampa Bay coming back very boldly the other day in Game 3 and hosting Game 4 today. Uh, what's your pick? Uh, my heart says um, my heart says Colorado, but my you know I can't I can't bet against the the you know back to back champions. You know I think that Tampa Bay might you know might have lost the first two, but you know I think they've got the experience to kind of go uh, three for three. So I'm I'm, I'm picking Tampa Bay. Uh, nice. Just lastly from me, Stefan. Um, when we look across the ditch, we talk about Australia and the gap there. But there's been a lot of uh, activity. You know, we saw the launch of the Pacific Hockey League uh, alongside the more long-standing AHL, where there's quite a few of New Zealand's best players over there at the moment. You know, and we look at other sports like rugby league, rugby football, basketball. You know, we we see New Zealand-based teams joining an Aussie competition. Do you think the scope is there for a Kiwi ice hockey team to do the same in the future? A hundred percent. You know, I think. Um the time is now um, to do it. You know, we've, I think the latest team, was it the Tuatara baseball team, that was the la- latest team to jump the, jump the ditch and join the league. And I think, you know, with the support of, of, of the, the community, and I, th- I know that Queenstown would be an ideal spot for it. You know, we, we love um, you know, having that here. And obviously there's a lot of Aussies that, that travel over for vacation. So, you know, when there is a when there's sport to watch, I'm sure they'd come, come look. So, no, I think... I think that's something that that needs to happen, um, just for the development of the league. You know, we need to make the sport bigger. If there's a shot of having some TV coverage to, you know, further widen the range, you know, there has to be um, a trans um, trans Tasman league. Um, there's just no no question that that's the next step. Well, Stefan, it's been a pleasure talking to you, um, answering uh, questions of both of us. Actually, it's uh, very enlightening and uh, gives us uh, more ammunition as we look forward to the start of the season. All the best with uh, game number one tomorrow night, taking on the Phoenix Thunder at the Queenstown Ice Arena. Thanks, mate. All the very best. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Cheers, uh, Stefan Ampston there, uh, straight out of the uh, Sky City Stampede. Very experienced, of course, an ice black as well. And uh, a guy you've toured with as well, Logan Swinkles. And I was tempted to ask him what kind of tourist you were, but he wouldn't have any stories, would he? <laughs> uh, he might have one, Smithy. Uh, yeah, I had this really awesome opportunity. Uh, 2019 feels so long ago because it's pre-pandemic now when, when you think about it. Uh, before the world of COVID, I, I got to travel with the Ice Blacks for their training camp to Colorado where they stayed in this really cute little village, uh, mountain town called Vale. Uh, we played a few games there against the Vale Yeti. Uh, that was pretty intense because there was a few ex-former like college players, so they were pretty 
pretty tough and pretty rough, let's be honest. But it was it was a lot of fun to to be a part of that camp, and we also got to check out a bit of Aspen, bit of, bit of mountains and stuff. Um, yeah, the, one thing that you're probably alluding to there is um, at one point we went snowmobiling in the Rockies, and I flipped one, Smithy. You flipped a you flipped a snowmobile. How'd you do that? <laughs> uh, we, we, we were going up this this hill, and it got quite steep. The pathway got very narrow, and I lost compl- all my momentum, and I just ended up rolling. And thankfully, you know, they gave us a training beforehand on this exact kind of scenario, so it was fresh in my mind. Uh, and so while the the snowmobile rolled one way down the hill. I rolled the other and and watched it go down. Thankfully, it wasn't that fast, so I was able to uh, pick it back up and and go again. But you know, the uh, the boys got a lot of uh, ammunition out of that, a lot of laughs. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, everyone likes the media getting it wrong. Well, you know, especially when they're writing stories and talking about them or commentating on them. There's nothing more than the players liking it happening to the media. I promise you. I won't go into the many things I've done wrong as a commentator. I'll just take a break here. Thank you very much for your time this morning, everybody. It's 11.22. For making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, some great news for uh, basketball fans and fans of the NBL and promoters of the NBL. Hugh Bainan would be uh, absolutely delighted at this. I can hear him uh, opening the, the, the champagne as we speak, really, because uh, Mark Hinton, a regular on our show as a panellist, of course, has written this article where the ratings for the NBL um, have been quite astronomical. Sky Sports viewership through six rounds of uh, the 22 sales NBL is already 39% above total viewership. Already 39% above total viewership for last year. The most viewed game through that period was the Nuggets and the Giants clash and uh, I think that was the the, the very first game. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was a, a Nelson. It's 24% higher than the most viewed game in 21. Uh, over the first month of the season, the four, first four rounds, the audience for at least part of the game on Prime TV increased by 73% compared with the same period uh, last year. The Sky Go, the Sky Sport Now audience has already surpassed uh, the total viewership from 21. And live attendance, uh, which is the good news, is also up following a 62% leap in 2021. And round five, over 12,000 fans have attended games, which is 33% up on the average turnout for last year. So those, they are quite staggering figures, Logan, for uh, a sport, I suppose. Here we go on the back of the NBA, etc. that um, interest uh, continues to wane, but it's also uh, continues to grow. But uh, it, uh, it's also a f- reflection of the numbers we're hearing as basketball is one of the biggest growth sport, if not that, uh, the biggest in the country at the moment. Yeah, and one thing that really blew my mind about some of these uh, figures that that Mark Hinton brought out on stuff is that some of them have drawn audiences on par with Super Rugby Pacific and the NRL. And, you know, we talk about those sports and, you know, how, you know, I guess the viewership and the followership that they have, the fact that basketball is now trending in that direction. You talk about uh, Hugh Bainan cracking open some champagne. I wonder if he's uh, looking for some checkbooks too. I mean, Sky must be really stoked as well with uh, what they're seeing out of the product. Um, 
I get to cover it from time to time for for the league, so my opinion might be a little bit biased, but I, I know a lot of the guys that work hard behind the scenes, and honestly, I think they should be really proud of what they're able to achieve here. Yeah, I totally agree, and and, and as you say, ratings mean um, income because I mean av- advertising revenue. Those those courtside signs that people put up, uh, the volunteers put up on a regular basis, are being seen by a lot more people. Uh, you know, sponsorship people involved in sponsorship or looking at sponsorship certainly will be interested in those numbers as well. Because in a sport like basketball, with the coverage that you get, uh, you can get a bang for your buck. And sales have done an, an, a really remarkable job um, in promoting their business alongside. Uh, basketball as a, a real growth sport in this country so very very encouraging numbers uh, and Sky won't be uh, too disappointed uh, or Prime uh, themselves I can promise you that uh, it is 11.31 here on SENZ and it's uh, time for you to uh, have a crack at winning uh, some vouchers from the TAB for 50 bucks you can win some sleep drops as well going into the long weekend uh, 0800 is our number 0800 is the number uh, be in in to win here on this Thursday morning. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Top class, it is time for Stumped here on SNZ Mornings. The real quiz master is back, Smithy. Joey Bell, yeah. you, you, you held the mantle there, mate. I mean, uh, <laughs> a couple of stumbles there, a couple of wide, bowled a couple of wides, I think, to be honest. Um, kind of maybe gone up for a view there, a couple as, couple as well on the third umpire. But Smithy, I'm backing up for grabs today as a $50 TAB bonus bet, plus some sleep drops, daytime revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Smithy, before we bring uh, our first contestant up to the crease, of course, we're, we're off tomorrow. Watto's looking after after things tomorrow. So uh, how are you looking for a bit of stumping before the long weekend? Yeah, I think I'm pretty confident that uh, we can uh, pull it off today. Depends on the subjects, of course. Um, you know, And as far as Joey's concerned, he needs some serious net time. There's no doubt about that. He needs to get back in the nets and work on his game big time. I mean, you just cannot drop a computer in the middle of a quiz. <laughs> you just cannot do that. So uh, anyway, sacked. So who's our first contestant today, Logan? Well, he doesn't have the strong uh, hands of uh, John Day. He's got to learn some handling techniques from, from him, I think. Uh, first up at the crease, we have Roger from the Taranaki. Come in, Roger. Yeah, go. How you doing, mate? How's things hey, going hey. in Naki? Bloody boomer, mate. Hey, hey, Roger, how's uh, Yarrow Stadium coming along? What are the prospects for this NPC season? Where are going to play rugby? I actually wouldn't have a clue. There was nothing wrong with my first place as far as I was concerned. Okay, I, I, I just uh, I quite like that Inglewood Stadium, but I, I think uh, Taranaki Rugby needs to get back there as soon as possible. And I just uh, I just hope maybe one of our listeners has got an update on that. Anyway, uh, what are the subjects today, uh, Logan, uh, for Roger and I? The subjects today... I'll preface the first one because I know you guys will bulk at it. The questions are incredibly easy. Uh, the Stanley Cup or cricket or golf? Take it big, Roger. Golf. All right. I can't guarantee that the golf questions are softballs like, like I had for some of the others, but here we go. First question... Uh, Englishman Matt Fitzpatrick won his first golf major by winning the US Open earlier this week. How many strokes did he win by? One. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. 
right in the slot and away it goes. We've got a confident one here, Smithy. Yeah, excellent. That was a very quick answer and it was just a couple of days ago. So I think we both... <laughs> Good on you, Rog. Good on you, mate. Question two. Question two. In the recent LPGA Classic, Lydia Co finished fourth. What was her final score? God, um, no, uh, what, for the last round, you mean? No, well, her total score for the tournament. What did she finish on? 270. Can you give me that in a in strokes, par, under par? Oh, okay. Um, three under par. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, over to you. I saw this. I saw the scoreline for this, but uh, it's either she either finished 17 under. Or the winners finished 17 under. There was a playoff, um, and I think Jennifer Cupcho won the playoff. Lydia Ko finished one shot behind the playoff. I think Lydia was either 17 under or 16 under. I'll take 16 under. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. One of those real close ones. Lydia finished on 17 under. One shot off the pace. Could have been a four-way playoff. That would have been incredible. But, Roger, what that does mean is you're still... Uh, in line to win the $50 TAB bonus bet and the sleep drops. Last question. Tiger Woods holds the record for the largest margin of victory at the US Open. In what year did that happen? Oh, God. Oh, here we go. Oh. Um, 2014. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Sorry, mate, didn't quite hear you there, Smithy. Over to you, chance at a stumping. Yeah, 2040, no. Um, I'm going to go a little bit earlier than that. I'm going to go 2011. That's it for me. 2011. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You have to go way, way back. This happened in the year 2000. Really? Year 2000, 15 strokes was the margin of victory. And get this, that is is still currently the all-time record across all majors. You wouldn't have been born then. No, you're right. You're right, absolutely. You're right there. What what about you, Rog? Are you you getting a handout yet? Or are you um, still in the workforce? I'm working, but I'm getting a handout as well. Oh, good on you, man. Double dipping. I love it. Absolutely love it, Roger. <laughs> good on you, pal. Hey, hey, congratulations, actually. By not getting anything right, you've won. So uh, congratulations to you, and uh, that's because I couldn't either. So uh, extremely well done, and uh, stay on the line, uh, Roger, from Taranaki, and Brian will get those uh, details off you, uh, and we'll have uh, Stumpsmith, of course, resuming on Monday morning around about 11.30 as well. It is uh, 11.39 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
And it is uh, 11.44 here on SENZ. Uh, I'm just uh, looking at a thing that's just come through to me, actually, from the New Zealand Cricket Players Association. Um, it's come through from Dennis Kasanis, who I didn't realise works for them. Uh, but uh, overnight, um, in a ceremony, a very quick ceremony in the team hotel, the Black Caps gave uh, Devin Conway the player's cap. Uh, I wasn't too fully aware of what the player's cap was until I received it, but it's the player that's a judge to be within the group, actually, picked by the players, um, who uh, has been the most valuable player throughout the, the calendar year. Uh, and Devin Conway was uh, awarded that for his uh, amazing performances uh, in his debut season, really, for New Zealand. He's been outstanding. Um, I was just looking back at previous winners, actually. Cole Jamieson um, was... Uh, Cole Jamieson won it in 2021. Prior to him, Tom Southey's won it. Ross Taylor's won it twice. Uh, Trent Bolt's won it once. Kane Williamson three times. Uh, and the inaugural winner, way back in 2012 was guess who? Brendan McCullum. So uh, there you go. Um, also, uh, I was just looking at some other cricket news uh, where the CPL was uh, launched an inaugural T10 tournament called the 60 in August. Uh, it will be played between August 24th and 28th. So it's a real quick fire one. Uh, and it's, uh, I guess, an abbreviated form of what England are doing with the 100 over there. And uh, some of the differences in competition you will know uh, and realise if you uh, tend to watch it in a couple of months' time. Uh, each batting team has six wickets rather than ten. Batting teams can unlock a floating third power play over by hitting two sixes in the initial two over power play. Teams will bowl five consecutive overs from each end rather than switching ends after each over. If teams fail to bowl their ten overs within 45 minutes, a fielder will be removed for the final six balls. Don't mind that one. That is a very interesting one. Uh, and fans will be able to vote for a mystery free hit via an app or a website. So that's coming out of the West Indies. Uh, normally they are uh, followers, not um, followers of uh, fashion in terms of cricket. They tend to follow on and drop in behind as opposed to initiating their own stuff. But it's a really cool initiation and I'm sure it will be uh, quite well received uh, come the time. Now, uh, Mr Logan Swinkles, uh, I think we um, have a greyhound today, is that right? Do we have a jingle for the, the greyhound pacing for purpose? Uh, well, they don't pace, do they, the greyhounds? They just sprint. Oh, we, they, they we do. do. It now? Yeah, let's do, let's do it now. I just wanted to channel a bit of Joey Bell for you. Okay, cool. Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run. Yep. Don't go... Channeling too much, Joey, okay? Not too much, Joey. Uh, this weekend's uh, Greyhound pick for us, uh, our funds again, going to Women's Refuge. Uh, we currently uh, are sending them over a grand, which is fantastic. So uh, combined with the, the uh, trotting and pacing, uh, we're looking like about 1500 bucks, which is not too bad. It was uh, much more than we gave them last year. Uh, racing at Cambridge at 2.49. Racing at Cambridge, 2.49 p.m. Uh, race 10, number 8 for you, page. Race 8. Uh, race 10, number 8 for you, Paige. Uh, and, of course, uh, on uh, Sundays from 11 o'clock till 12 o'clock for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's uh, Dog Speed. You can listen to that here on SENZ. It's hosted by two legendary Greyhound experts and race callers, Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Uh, you won't miss a beat if you listen to that. GRNZ Dog Speed, uh, 11 till 12 uh, every Sunday morning. And I think that just about uh, ties up all the little uh, housekeeping that we had to do to uh, finish off this week. I oh, know, I'll just finish off on this golfing note. And it looks like uh, Brooks Kepka has joined the lucrative uh, LIV, the Live Golf Invitational Series, and will compete in their second event in Portland 
News of the four-time major champions move came as the RNA confirmed players who had joined the Saudi back breakaway league would be allowed to play at the Open. We covered that, of course, didn't we? And uh, the panel this morning, Kepka has joined a list of top players, including six times major champion Phil Mickelson, uh, former world number one Dustin Johnson, former US Open champion Bryson DeChambeau, got Patrick Reed there as well, who's uh, won majors. Uh, and then, of course, you've got uh, the players from uh, outside America as well. There's no uh, underestimating the impact that Brooks Kepka has had on the game of golf in the last five years. He carries in championship pedigree and a record of success as one of the most elite players in the world. They are the words of Greg Norman, the CEO for LIV Golf. The addition of Brooks is yet another example of the incredible fields LIV Golf is assembling as we build momentum in our first season and look towards the future. When is this going to stop? When is it actually going to stop? Well, I'm not sure it ever is because uh, just remembering back to tournament number one where Charles Swartz will pocket it, four million bucks, four million bucks, 6.3 million New Zealand dollars, the biggest paycheck in golf history. Um, Kepka's younger brother, Chase, who also played in the inaugural event where uh, they last placed golf for pocketed, $120,000. So he's joining his brother in that particular tour. Uh, but there's only 48 places up for grabs under the way that they're running it at the moment, uh, my understanding, and that means that every one of those new players that joins at the top end, the newbies will be shunted off at the bottom end, Logan. Yeah, um, just quickly, Smithy, we were talking about, you know, Rugby Australia, and we had a call to talk about, you know, netball, the uh, super netball there over in Australia. I've just been having a little chat with our friends at Netball Scoop, uh, sort of giving me uh, a bit more detail on that. Sort of looking back, Netball Australia actually said to New Zealand that they had to drop two teams or they're out, and that they left, and with that, ignored a $3 million payday uh, from Sky Sports New Zealand with it. Now, Netball Australia are in a massive $4 million hole. It is not looking good for them over there. So probably something for our Rugby Australia to think about. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.